So in our uh, first reading, Abraham is, uh, it's called interceding, praying on behalf of other people before God. And uh, did you notice it kind of sounded like a negotiation? Like if there's 50, okay, okay. If there's 40, if there's 30, I mean, you almost wonder if God was like, okay, hold on, who's in charge here? Um, Because if my son starts negotiating things like, usually there are consequences for that because it gets old. But uh, Abraham negotiating, bugging God in prayer for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah actually becomes kind of a, um, almost a paradigm of prayer for uh, Jewish thought as time goes on. And later rabbis, interestingly enough, would compare Abraham to another figure, namely Noah. And the comparison is not favorable. Because think about it, God says like, ah, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham's like, whoa, 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 hold on, what if there are 50 people? What if there are 40? Like, like he's, he's actually cares enough to help avert this destruction. When God says to Noah, hey, I'm going to flood everything, destroy everything, Noah's like, cool, all right, whatever. And so based on that comparison, Noah is not a positive figure. I mean, he does positive things, and he eventually becomes a positive figure, but not when it comes to prayer. And it's almost uh, Abraham's boldness, his willing to respectfully get in God's face, that makes him a respectable model for prayer. Now, prayer and, and, and the thinking about prayer and the methods of prayer uh, evolve over time. And uh, before, during, and after the time of Jesus, there was a lot of discussion about what prayer was and what needed to be present in a prayer when you prayed and what prayers should you pray at certain times of the day, and what would that look like? And it's easy to kind of dismiss some of that as just being legalistic, like, oh, you're just saying, like, okay, here are these rules, because apparently everything has to have rules or whatever. And I don't think that's really the case for the most part, because there are rules for when we pray, or I'm sorry, not when we pray, but how we pray. We just don't list them out. For example, When I get up and lead the prayers later in the service, I think we all agree without having to say anything that if I said, oh Lord, thank you that the Astros won or the Packers won or something like that, we would, and I have no idea if they won, but whatever, um, I think we would all agree that 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 would be highly inappropriate. Or I think we would all agree that if I... We're praying like, oh God, please just let me win the lottery. Like, we would probably roll our eyes at me and I would deserve it. Um, So there are rules. There are certain ways to pray that are acceptable and there are some that aren't. And if you are a rabbi, a teacher with disciples, which every rabbi will have disciples, and every rabbi has or had a rabbi, a teacher himself, 
it was kind of on you to teach your followers how to pray. Um, at the time of Jesus, there, was, uh, there were a couple of prayers that were already in, in place, like the Shema, which you would pray in the morning and the evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, uh, and, and so on. Uh, in development, or in its kind of natural evolution, there was also another prayer called the Amadah, from the Hebrew amad, meaning to stand, because you would stand when you prayed it. And there were a whole bunch of petitions, things you would pray. And it, I think it takes like 15 or 18 minutes to pray. Like it, it was pretty long. Once it finally reaches its final form. At the time of Jesus, it was in development. So as it turns out, some, or one of Jesus' disciples come up to him and say, hey, John, the Baptist, not like because he was Baptist, but because he baptized. Although when I went to a Baptist school for undergrad, they were fine calling him Baptist, but whatever. It's kind of weird. Um, they said, hey, he taught his disciples to pray. Can you teach us? Now there's more going on underneath the surface there, because it's the Bible. There's always more going on. Jesus was baptized by John, which suggests, and many scholars agree, and I'm one of them, that that implies that John was Jesus' teacher for a time. They're like, hey, it's your turn to pass this on to us. And so he gives us what we now call the Lord's Prayer. Curiously enough, or maybe not, every single petition in the Lord's Prayer, uh, in some form or another, makes it into this Amidah, this, this larger prayer that gets kind of codified later. Jesus is just doing kind of the normal thing. This is not, um, this is not like an incantation. It's not magic. Jesus is just saying, these are the kinds of things that, that are good to have in a prayer. Recognize that God is holy. Pray that his will is done, like his kingdom, his presence, like what it means for God to be in charge of everything around here. Like, you want that. Maybe it's a good idea to acknowledge that. Acknowledge your sinfulness. Pray for your needs. Um, and then Jesus goes off into some parables and some teaching. Now there's one line there that I want to deal with first. It kind of comes at the end when he says, hey, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give to you? Okay. In, in like Semitic thought, comparisons are really important. Jesus is not saying like, hey, you guys are evil, you're the spawn of Satan or something like that. What he, he, he's comparing your moral character to God's. And I think we can all agree, if we stack our moral, the best of us, stack our moral character up against God, comparatively, we're quite evil. But that phrase, how much more, is very important. So let's go back to what Jesus says. Because uh, when we talk about prayer, inevitably the topic of I asked God for blank, and it did not happen, will come up. 
So Jesus has a thought experiment. It's a, in the form of a parable. Um, a guy comes in and it, uh, into town and it's late at night and he visits this friend. And hospitality in this culture is huge. When somebody comes and visits you, you have to feed them. And it's like midnight, so what are you going to do? Like, he has no food. And so he goes to his friend, and he's like uh, approaching him and kind of yelling at his door. And he's like, hey, I, I need some food because I have to do that. It would be shameful if I didn't. And the other guy is going like, come on, I'm already in bed. Like, I'm going to wake my kids up if I get, go get up and get the food that is stored. Now, the details of all of this are, are, are really complicated, but that phrase, how much more, which in, in Hebrew thought, kal vachomer, says that if that guy, and he will, get up and give bread to this friend who is annoying him at midnight, how much more would God respond to your prayers. That's the implication there. The problem is that as a speaker, Jesus is assuming that the people who are hearing him, or, and Luke as a writer, is assuming that, that the people reading this will get those lines filled, like you already know the culture and we do not. And then Jesus says, like, look, how many of you, if your kid asks for bread, you'll give him a stone an egg, a scorpion, which, ugh, and so on. And then I cannot help but go there and ask, but I've prayed for this, and nothing happened. There were things I wanted, things that I needed, and God seemed to say, seems to have said no. Or he didn't listen. But Jesus says, if I ask, I will receive. If I seek, I will find. If I will knock, then things will be opened. So why? I suspect I'm not alone in that. And I think maybe we can like categorize some of those things like, you know, the ridiculous things like, God, I need a Tesla to kind of cruise around Albuquerque in. Need being a very, very funny word there. And sometimes I think when we come to God in prayer, even if we're as bold as Abraham, deep down, or maybe we don't realize that what we think we need is not what we really need. Um, I, I mean, I know, like, in my own life, like, you know, I would pray, like, hey, God, leukemia is a bummer. Please take it away from me. And as it turns out, maybe I don't need that to happen. I've prayed for friends, likewise, with cancer, and they died. I thought that's what they would need. So what's going on there? Um, there's this weird thing about God 
being all-powerful, all-knowing, the creator of the universe and everything else, that sometimes God is operating, or not sometimes, God is always operating with so much more than I have going on in my own head. That sometimes I'm kind of embarrassed by my own arrogance to think that there couldn't possibly be a reason for God to tell me no. That I perceive this need in my life. You know, a year ago it was, God, I need a job, you know, so that we can eat. And God said no for a really long time. And boy, was it a process to learn that maybe God has reasons that I will never understand. Sometimes I've found myself praying, and I don't know if this is the case for you, for, for people or for things going on in my life that I was just desperate for. And I thought I understood what it meant to need something. And over time, my prayer changed because as it turns out, it wasn't my perceived need that changed or my circumstances that changed, but actually it was my own heart. Prayer can, in fact, be an invitation not to change your circumstances by God granting you these prayers, but actually to alter and grow and mature your own self. Prayer is complicated. Abraham approached God, respectfully got in his face, negotiated him down. And as it turns out, couldn't find anybody worthy. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. That's how the rest of that story goes. God gave him what he wanted and it didn't work out. How much of my own prayer life is the same? So what do we do with that? Because that's all kind of like a downer. Um, The invitation is still there. It's not that Jesus can't conceive of the fact that God would not give us what we want or what we are asking for. How do I know that? Because God didn't give what Jesus asked for. And when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows his betrayer is on his way with the temple guard, and he is in for a rough 24 hours. He actually asks God to take this cup of suffering away from him. And God tells his own son, no. So it's not like Jesus is one of those prosperity gospel preachers that say, if you just believe enough and then give us $100 in the plate, when that passes around, then God's going to give you everything you want. That is heresy and an abomination. I think we all know that. Um, But is it weird that Jesus is acutely aware that God can tell even him no, and yet at the same time he is saying, ask, seek, Knock. 
I think it's because God cares more about the process than the results. That's my own take on it. That prayer can be a very, very powerful avenue to connect with our Creator, to connect with our Savior, and everything else is kind of secondary. Prayer is an invitation. Prayer is an avenue for very deep change. Prayer is an invitation to be bold, like Abraham. But it is also a process by which we have to understand how little control we have over our lives and the circumstances around us. And yet, at the same time, the image that Jesus gives of God is one of a father who loves us, who wants what's best for us. And so prayer is a recognition that maybe God knows more than we do. God has reasons that we may never know. And so... The only thing we can do is exactly what Jesus asked us to do. Continue to pray boldly, recognizing that it's not up to us. Now, I would encourage us as we think about prayer, as we go about the rest of uh, our week, find some time. Take the Lord's Prayer. That's a good place to start. Say maybe every day at 10 o'clock in the morning or at noon when you eat lunch, at dinner, at 6 o'clock, whenever, find a time to create a little space and say for the next five minutes, I'm going to begin with the Lord's Prayer and then I am going to tell God either by writing it down, I actually find writing things out a little more helpful for me, What's going on? What do you want? What do you need? Give yourself the space to ask, to seek, and to knock. And just see. Because prayer is an invitation. And when you find that God is a little more wild, a little harder to control than any of us could possibly imagine, realizing that you are praying in the name of Jesus, the one whom God told no. And after which, when he told God, or when God told him, rather, no, that finished a journey that recreated the world. That when God invites us into this journey of prayer, he's inviting us into a journey of dying and then rising. Of forgiveness and walking in new life. That we pray in the name of the one who died for us, who was raised to new life, and the same has been done for us. Amen.